Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Magnolia Beef and Seminary has top quality beef products that are raised right here in Mississippi. They also have fantastic gifts for every age. For the best beef in Mississippi and so much more, visit Magnolia Beef and Seminary or find us on Facebook. Howdy, howdy, it's Rhino here, and I wanted to say thank you for listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. Get ready, get ready to go beyond the headlines and join a meaningful conversation with people from around the state. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert here on Super Talk Mississippi. everyone and welcome to midday super talk mississippi i'm your host gerard gibbert along with rhino in the element well studio guiding you through the middle of your day with facts fodder and fine music on this hump day and a nice one it is out there that's what i'm talking started off nice and crisp yeah man it's uh beautiful winds are calm today moderate temperatures just a splendid Fall day across the Magnolia State. We're so so blessed to be here. There's some folks in other parts of the world that are not having a good day. And, you know, Rhino, it's, it's bad enough, the Hamas attacks. Let's call them what they are. They're, they're brazen terrorists. It's what they are. They seek to kill people, inflict harm. They want to maximize it. But what really disturbs me more than anything are the supporters of Hamas in this country. It's prevalent in particular on college campuses. Uh, We see it. And they're just completely in a state of denial that what's happening is even happening. They refuse to accept that the photos, the video, the accounts, reports, even documents found on Hamas terrorists, interception of communication between terrorists. Oh, no, that's just Israeli propaganda. Are these the same people that tell us that men can have babies? For the most part, yeah. Need I say more? Of course, you would think also these are the people who refuse to acknowledge the Holocaust, still living in that world. I saw a report that the hashtag Hitler was right invoked 70,000 times last year. Hitler was right. Now, he may be the most despicable human ever to walk the earth when you consider the atrocities that he wielded on humanity. It just blows me away. An instructor at Stanford that is, is under scrutiny because there are multiple reports claiming that during a class, 
He singled out the Jewish students in the class, labeled them as colonizers. You know, the people who seek civil society. I think you're so right about that. That, that's, that stuck with me, your analysis of that last week. When you said, yeah, referring to these horrific images of, of death and destruction, yeah, this is what decolonization looks like. So true. So this professor says, these Jewish students, they're colonizers, and he ordered them to stand in a corner in an exercise that support, uh, reportedly symbolized Israel's treatment of Palestine. This is in an American classroom. Now, these, these actions, of course, have, they've ignited some concerns and statements. Is this academic freedom? Am I confused about this? I thought that universities and colleges were supposed to be the laboratory of free expression and thought, civil discourse, debate. What do they stand for, these universities? Do they stand for the transmission of knowledge and facilitation of free thought? I mean, if the professor were doing it to start a conversation instead of espouse a personal political belief I think adults in a college classroom should be able to have that conversation but when it's just the professor trying to impose their political will on their students that's when it crosses the line so in this context do you believe that in the Examples you gave, this professor is of the former or the latter? Considering how everything else we've seen coming out of academia and higher education seems to skew to the left and the far left, it's more than likely the professor imposing their own political beliefs. That's my concern as well, given the widespread sort of actions like this. And then the other thing is, what if these students that he ordered, the Jewish students, to go stand in the corner, they perhaps objected to that, but maybe were afraid to defy the professor's instruction? That's a problem. You'd have to admit, that's a problem in, unto itself. And then, of course, we've got this Cornell professor. I know you've seen that. In fact, I may have even sent you some sound. This Cornell professor, Russell Rickford, speaking at a rally in support of Palestine on October 15th. And he made a remark that was recorded. You got it? Here we go. It was exhilarating. It was exhilarating. It was energizing. Oh, if they weren't exhilarated by this, this challenge to the monopoly of violence, by this shifting of the balance of power, that it would not be you and I was exhilarated. 
He's exhilarated at death, at the killing of innocent civilians, at murder. That's exhilarating. Why is this guy teaching at a university? What do you think he's got tenure and makes three hundred grand a year? And I don't know if you you looked it up or not or, or um, researched it. Rhino, I know you've been off, but I did. This guy's got a history. He got a resume that precedes him that I think pretty much explains why he's a left wing loon. He is uh, he's a black person, and he's got the giant a giant racist chip on his shoulder. Everything, of course, always boils down to that with the race. It's always about identity politics. Never about just logical fact. But he's got he's got a history in this regard. And um, he he actually said back in twenty fourteen he delivered a rousing speech, about hundred and fifty students. And in the speech, he um, he was he's a Black Lives Matter activist. He said that the American system is bent on suppressing non-whites. He said whites are ready to commit race suicide and treason. This guy's got a history, yet. He's hired as a teacher at a prestigious university and has tenure. Guarantee you that he does. That's what's bothersome. These are the people who are spewing this hateful rhetoric and this divisive language to impressionable college students. That's what really bothers me. These people, they have a podium. They have a platform to spew this garbage. But it's, it's despicable. Now, Cornell did come out, the president, Pollock, and board chair, Kaiser, did come out and make a statement, and they did describe it as a reprehensible comment that demonstrates no regard whatsoever for humanity. So I applaud them, but you, you see what's happening, folks? Have you been paying attention to this? People with money that contribute to these prestigious, well-endowed universities, they're shutting up the checkbook. And you know what? When the money stops to flow, it's amazing how people's attitude starts to change. So I applaud those who are shutting down the checkbook to these universities because of these reactions. And I think that's what's driving the president and the board chair of Cornell here, who are probably a little bit concerned about the backlash from their donors who think this is ridiculous. Any clear-thinking person, of course, does as well. But he actually had a kneeling event in support of students and athletes fighting against racism and had a free Palestine chant in uh, as well last week, this professor at Cornell. It's outrageous. We got John McKay, president of Mississippi Manufacturer Association. Gerard Gibbert. He keeps his classified documents right where they belong. Inside a journey record jacket from the 1980s. Gerard Gibbert. Super Talk Mississippi. 
CCR bumping us into this segment of Middays. We are in the Element Well Studio. Sorry I got a little wordy there when we went to break and missed the mark. It's John McKay, President and CEO of the Mississippi Manufacturers Association at 1105. Chris Howard with the Department of Rehab Services and Dorothy Young, Director, Office of Vocational Rehabilitation for the Blind at 1205. But I think in the midst of all that, Rhino, I've, I've got uh, a notification that Representative Michael Guest is going to call in and give us uh, an update. Looks like 1135, right? It's what you show as well. That's correct. He's been texting me uh, this morning as he was yesterday. We were just in communication, of course, about the vote for Speaker of the House. We don't got one up there in Washington right now. How long have we been without? Three weeks or so? Seems like. Uh, I think a little over two weeks, yeah. Okay, a little over two. So Representative Scott Perry, he uh, he tweeted, and uh, Representative Michael Guest just sent me a screenshot of the tweet. I mean, literally on the break. So, and this is what Representative Perry said, just so there's no surprises, because they're scheduled, as you know, to vote again today, failing to elect a speaker yesterday, Representative Jim Jordan fell short of the necessary votes to receive the gavel. Representative Perry says, just so there's no surprises, Jordan will likely have, in all caps, fewer you hear that? Fewer votes today than yesterday. As I expected, this is the fight which Jim Jordan represents to end the status quo, and it ain't easy. Stay strong and keep praying. Wow. It is uh, dysfunction, to say the least. In the United States House of Representatives, the Democrats are absolutely enjoying this, are they not? They're having a big old time with this this chaos, which is what you'd have to describe it as. And the House is uh, supposed to start the second day of voting here momentarily, I believe. But it doesn't seem like we're going to get any outcome out of that that would place Representative Jordan up there on the podium with a gavel. That looks like where we're headed. Uh, I noticed that of the, I believe, 20 Republicans that voted against him, some voted for Lee Zeldin, who's not even in the body. Remember, he he retired from the House. He's from New York to run for governor. was defeated, so he's not even a member of the U.S. House. Uh, one voted for Massey, Thomas Massey. You see that? Got one vote. And then there were several that voted for Scalise, several that voted for McCarthy. I've heard Representative Jimenez from Florida now three times say, I will only support Kevin McCarthy. So if he's one of the Republican dissenters, they can only afford to lose Four more in order for someone to get across the finish line. So this is crazy, honestly. It's um, it's bothersome. I'm not really sure exactly what it is 
they seek. It's not clear. I mean, I get it. You know, we we don't want to stay with the status quo, but what does that mean exactly? Because this this all stemmed from budget, money, appropriations, not happy about a continuing resolution. That's what really triggered the whole deal. Matt Gates, he's the one that invoked his privilege under the rules. One person says, I want to vote to vacate the speakership, and he did it. McCarthy's out. So what they want, and I'm with them, I I support this, I've said it many, many, many times before, regular order. Let's sit down, deliberate, and uh, our spending, our, our appropriation of the discretionary function of government through these 12 appropriation bills, that's the way the system is designed, as opposed to just one continuing resolution, which simply says, continue to spend just like you did the last time you appropriated funds to these programs, to this portion of government. I agree, it shouldn't be that way. It's not the way to run the railroad, as they say. But on the other hand, what are you going to get out of this by changing speakers? Okay, you get the 12 bills. I don't expect anything earth-shaking to come out of that. We've been through the math on that many times before. I want to see something of substance, some plans, some true, serious effort to start to reduce the deficit because you can negotiate these 12 bills all day long to appropriate money to the discretionary function of government, but the mandatory's on autopilot, and the money just keeps increasing. One of the things that bothers me is that there's, of the $33 trillion of debt, and of course that mostly comes in the form of Treasury, bonds, notes, and bills. That's government-issued debt. About two and a half trillion of that is scheduled to term out here in the next few months, and the average interest rate on that debt is one and a half percent. One and a half. So the government doesn't have the cash. Anytime it prints money, it also has to commensurately sell bonds. So what the point is they're going to refinance. So think about a, a, a home mortgage. Maybe it's an adjustable rate mortgage. That would be an idea that is uh, an example that is similar to this situation. You got an adjustable rate mortgage, an arm as it's called, and it's locked in for the first, let's say, five years. And at the end of five years, it adjusts. Well, in this particular case, you got these treasury securities that are at a one point five percent. The federal government's going to have to go sell new. Treasury securities to raise the money to fund that existing debt, except they're not going to be able to sell it for 1.5%. Because if you look at the average interest rates now with inflation and the way the Fed's been raising the benchmark rate, it'll be more like 5%. So you're talking about tripling our interest costs on that portion. And that scenario is going to continue to roll like that. What's the point? Point is, last year, our our interest cost were over seven hundred billion dollars. 
And next year, they're going to approach a trillion. And the year after that, it's going to be like 1.1 to 1.2 trillion of just interest on the debt. Light a match to it. Interest. That's the deal. And that's something you won't hear a lot of people talk about. And the only way you can start clawing away at the debt is to eliminate the deficit. Well, that's two trillion bucks. What two trillion do you guys want to cut? And I know you say you want to do that, but you've not given a plan. You've not advanced a an actionable, viable plan to achieve that. Last night I had the privilege of addressing the college Republicans at uh, my alma mater, Ole Miss. Really, really appreciate the uh, the invitation. Always welcome the opportunity to address young folks. And there's 25 or so, maybe 30, that attended. I appreciate that. You know, the fact is, when you're in college, not a whole lot are engaged, but I thanked them and I applauded them for being engaged in the political process. I admit, when I was that age, I didn't didn't really get too involved, although I do remember this distinctly. When I was in college, Jimmy Carter was president, and I remember seeing the hostages in Iran. That launched the uh, additional news from the big three, Nightline, Ted Koppel. I want to say came on at maybe 10.30 or 11 o'clock, something like that, after the local news, right? Because we starve for more information about what the heck's going on with this Iran hostage situation. And I'll never forget, as a college student, just being embarrassed and ashamed and just mad at the way my fellow countrymen were being treated by this radical, these radical, honestly religious zealots in Iran... And we just felt helpless. And Jimmy Carter, the president, he was feckless. He didn't have a clue. And he just always looked like a deer in headlights dealing with it. And, of course, you know the story. That that weakness on his part, I think, to a great extent, plus all kinds of domestic problems, mainly inflation, led to the election of Ronald Reagan. And one of the first things he was able to do is get the hostages back. We're stepping aside for a break right now. We're in the Element Well studio. we got guests lined up for you today. John McKay, Chris Howard, Michael Guest. Stay with us. We'll be right back. Covering the stories that matter most to Mississippians. Gerard Gibbert. Middays with Gerard. Super Talk Mississippi. in the Element Well studio. Thank you for joining us. Tensions in the United States House of Representatives as they are apparently set to start the second day of voting. We are expecting to have Congressman Michael Guest call in at, uh, what I say, Rhino? 11.35, right? That's correct. Call in and give us an update from Washington. And as we shared earlier, Representative Perry 
who serves in the U.S. House, has already been on social media saying, I think we're going to have even more people, more people vote for someone for speaker other than the nominee, Jim Jordan, which should tell us all that it ain't going to happen. Not going to get in there today. So looking forward to talking to Representative Michael Guest. So just did a little review of the data I was sharing with you guys about our debt and the interest on it. And so in the point here is that while they come together in the House, again, to pass appropriations bills for the discretionary part of spending, which is only 30 percent of the total of our outlays. And let's say they successfully cut spending. Bravo. Except while they're doing that, the mandatory part, the 70%, which is mandatory, it continues to tick upward because it's on autopilot. And interest on the debt's a big part of that. So I believe that a core function of government is defense. How could it not be? No defense of the country. No country. I think that's core function. A constitutionally appropriate function of government. Now, we could certainly debate how much money to spend on that and whether or not it is, it is being responsibly spent. I agree. And we should root out frivolous spending, waste, even in the military. Totally agree. But it is a constitutionally appropriate function of government. But here's the point. Here's where I'm going with this. We're set right now, based on the trajectory I'm looking at, our interest on the debt next year, next fiscal year, will exceed our spending on defense. That's upside down. And the Congress can't fix that. The only way they could is if they started addressing the mandatory aspects of spending. And they won't. That's Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, and a host of other federal assistance programs. They won't. So looking at this report on our debt and our debt service, which is essentially the amount we have to pay to meet our obligations on the debt. We have to pay folks back that loan money to us, essentially, when we sell Treasury bills, notes, and bonds. And right now, the average interest rate on all that debt's about 2.5%. That's half what current U.S. Treasury bills, notes, and bonds interest rates are, depending on the, the term of the instrument. But it's averaging around uh, 5%. So, I mean, this is just uh, a warning that we should also all be concerned about, I should say. And talking about these... these uh, foundations and uh, mainly foundations or just in sometimes individuals that contribute lots of money to colleges and universities. The Wexner Foundation. This was started by founder of Victoria's Secret, Leslie Wexner and his wife. They sent a letter Monday rebuking Harvard's response to the the conflict. And they say they say they're cutting ties. 
the uh, the nonprofit owned by this billionaire, Lexley Wexner, worked with the Harvard Kennedy School. More than 30 years has provided a lot of financial support and says that Israel fellows of the university and students have felt, quote, increasingly marginalized on campus. So they're pulling their dough. That is the way to get someone's attention. Meanwhile, the leaders of the prestigious Harvard University, they've kind of been lukewarm, I guess is one way to describe it, tiptoeing. You know, the other thing, they've been equivocating. But what about, what about, what about, that kind of crap. It really is incredible when you think about it. But I, I'm, uh, I'm proud of these various organizations that have been supporting these universities, knowing they're all about left-wing crap. But now I think they've gone too far, and I'm, I'm proud to see that they have seen that, and so they're starting to pull their money. Now, this Cornell University professor whose tape we played earlier, where he declared that the attacks from the terrorists were exhilarating and energizing, what kind of human is exhilarated and energized at the beheading of babies? And and even though most of these pro-Palestinian people are, in a, again, denying that that happened, it's just Israeli propaganda, I caught an interview, and I can't remember where exactly I ran across it, but it was of a member of the IDF, the Israeli Defense Force, and he was describing once he got into the the boots and he was talking about coming across body bags that were filled with the remains of babies and saw evidence of um, the atrocity, the assault, the murder, of these babies in their beds, in their cribs, one who had been shot, all bloodied up, of course, an infant holding a teddy bear, left, I think for shock purposes, in the crib, knowing that the Israelis would likely discover it. That's what this Cornell University idiot supports. Well, the students want him fired. Good to see this. The students, many students on campus, are calling for the termination of Professor Russell Rickford. That's good to see, in my view. Meanwhile, at UC Berkeley, just another example of this nonsense, they immediately created, you know, what you got to do in college, Rhino, and there's something that you don't like. You got you to create a space. Right to be protected from whatever it is that incenses you. So they created Jewish-free zones immediately after the attacks. And now they've banned any sort of pro-Israel people from speaking. The students' groups, right? These are these privately formed student groups, nine student groups. Who pride themselves on inclusivity. Right. The most intolerant 
exclusive ilk on this planet are American liberals. That's just the truth. They're the least tolerant of anybody. They're the most exclusive organization of anybody. Exclusive as in excluding others that don't share their viewpoints. So here's what's interesting. Is that the dean of one of these schools, he's Jewish. Does that mean he can't speak at this prestigious university? I mean, they could try. They could see how long their student organization would still be around. It's incredible that this is even going on. This is this is deeply troubling, in my view, and I, I really am shocked that we have returned to, I guess, the level of hate that existed in World War II with Nazis and Hitler and the Holocaust and and their goal to exterminate. Jews off the planet? It's hard to believe that we're revisiting that. That's coming up again. That's that's deeply disturbing. But, you know, these are supposedly on these college campuses, these folks involved in these protests, this is the future of our country, right? These would be future business leaders, entrepreneurs, innovators, you would at least hope political leaders and this is what they're engaged in that's of deep concern and we should all be concerned and where are they getting it from all these crazy left-wing wacko professors that essentially dominate these environments and they're spewing their rhetoric and they're brainwashing these 19 to 22 year olds on a daily basis we're coming right back in the element well studio Days with Gerard. Good for America. Good for fans of justice and truth. Good for us. Super Talk Mississippi. This is what we stand for. Well, it's all. The Element Well Studio, William and Brandon on the ceasefire text line. That's 601-879-4395. He said, best thing I've seen all week, and it is a screenshot of a report in, on Fox News entitled, Billionaire's Nonprofit Cuts Ties with Harvard After Students Show Support for Hamas Attacks on Israel, what we were just talking about. I agree, William. I, I'm glad to see it as well. Uh, you know, unfortunately, most of these people, as you know, Rhino, that, that they're left-leaning themselves, but I think this has crossed the line for them. And I, I'm glad to see that, honestly. Unfortunately, there are a lot of people who, uh, again, are still dug in, even in Lubbock, Texas, Texas Tech University, where my son went. They're all out there chanting. And uh, what's the chant now? Israel, you can't hide. You're committing genocide. That's the big chant. It's just unbelievable. You know, once again, 
trying to achieve any sort of consensus on almost anything, it seems like, is impossible in this country. And, and I've said it so many times, we can't agree on how many genders there are. That, that pretty much, I think, uh, establishes how difficult it is to achieve consensus. But being in a state of denial about what happened and holding it, labeling it as Israeli propaganda. No, that really didn't happen. Those people didn't die. You saw probably the hospital. 500 people perished in a, a rocket that went astray at the hospital. And immediately, of course, Hamas attributed it to Israel. And, of course, Israel attributed it to Hamas. It's finger point. I will say, Joe Biden, he's over there today, beating with Netanyahu. Man, he's just so weak, though, guys. I, I don't know if you've seen any of this, but he, he's in the typical configuration whenever leaders of state are together having a discussion about an issue, and they're in the, the, the individual chairs, kind of angled with like a table between them, and a uh, backdrop, I believe, of Israeli flag. And it's Biden and Netanyahu. And he's just staring down with his head, reading from a piece of paper. And it comes across as reading from a piece of paper. And it's with that weak voice and really slow delivery. And it just doesn't sound forceful like it should and, and, and convicting like it should. And it's, it's just a concern. It's the right message, though. And he, too, said... Something to the effect, yeah, we've investigated, and it was the other side, something like that, attributing this this rocket attack on this hospital. But the Israeli intelligence says they've intercepted communication. You've seen that, you're shaking your head, between right Hamas terrorists, where they're actually discussing, uh-oh, this one went array, awry here, I should say, and, uh, and it struck. And exploded on this hospital. And then the sun came up, and the hospital's still standing. It's the parking lot that got bombed. Okay. But they they reported 500 people died in it. Is that not true? doesn't seem to be the case. Oh, my gosh. So it's war, and there's lots of misinformation. That's the point. Uh, and we got to get to the truth. Wow. The... Uh, but the situation on America's college campus is something we've warned about a lot. That's why I share so many of these reports of just crazy crap, like the University of Nevada, Las Vegas Law School that that uh, scheduled an event, a picnic. And then somebody squawked about it and, and tried to tie the word picnic to, like, social lynchings, and which was completely debunked. No, it comes from the, from the French... Picnic. Picnic, P-I-Q-U-E-N-I-Q-U-E, which simply means having a potluck buffet, which is what a picnic is. That's where we got the word. And they write this letter of apology because we might have hurt somebody's feelings. It's unbelievable. That's the kind of crap that's going on. you got to apologize for an imagined scenario that someone came up with to feel bad about their current situation. <sighs> it's... You know, it's this tepid response from university presidents to the situation in Israel, in Gaza. But Lord knows if somebody got mispronoun, they'd have a press conference about it. That's what's upside down. 
Man, oh man. Marion Greenwood asked, Gerard, if you could, if you can, would you please explain why Gates wanted McCarthy gone and why they don't want Jim Jordan? I don't understand. I'll try to analyze it best I can, Mary. Um, later on in the program, thanks for the question. Right now it's time for a break. That means Fox News, Super Talk News, because it's the top of the hour. When we return, it's John McKay, President and CEO of the Mississippi Manufacturers Association. Of the talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Begin your transition now. Now on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. It's hour two of Middays. We are once again live in the Element Wealth Studio on this hump day. Joining us now, John McKay, President and CEO of the Mississippi Manufacturers Association. Always good to see you, John, and, and talk to you in a while. It's been a while, Gerard. Good to be back. All right, so uh, manufacturing in the state of Mississippi, from all accounts, seems to be fairly strong. We do have uh, a UAW strike in other parts of the country, uh, we're not really uh, too much subject to that with it with respect to uh, automobile and vehicle manufacturing in Mississippi. That's right. So it really hasn't directly affected us. But, you know, I'll kind of start with this. I'm wondering if we possibly could benefit from this from the standpoint of Mississippi being a right-to-work state, and uh, which simply means that uh, folks at work – it, uh, it it manufacturing it doesn't have to necessarily have to be manufacturing. It could be any company that has a union in place, a labor union. They're not compelled to join it. Mm-hmm. Um, it. It's not a requirement as it is in states where if there's a union shop on site at that facility, at whatever that company is, whatever that that operation is, you go to work there. You pretty much got to join the union. Well, and I think you've seen that over the last two decades, especially in the auto sector, but but in other sectors as well, uh, in manufacturing, is you've seen these companies really look at the South and the Southeast in particular, uh, and that's why you've seen this explosive growth in those sectors. And and I think that has a lot to do with it. And and look, it, it's really letting the market take over yeah. that part of of employment. I mean, if if an employee isn't satisfied with where they're working, they can go find another job uh, and the companies in that area can decide how they want to position themselves to attract that talent. And that's the way it should work. And, and you know, to the relative effect on Mississippi, I, I think uh, the biggest problem for us is the the auto sector in particular is so interconnected that the supplier base yeah. Doesn't you know we we have all these suppliers around Nissan and Toyota and some others around the state, they're connected to other 
auto manufacturers. So sure. that's my biggest concern is if you see the slowdown uh, really impacting gotcha. uh, Michigan right now, uh, the, the big three in Detroit, uh, that's going to have a trickle-down effect, and it's going to impact the smaller to midsize, uh, what we like to call the mom-and-pop shops, which is a really unfortunate thing because those folks, uh, they're running on thinner margins. They yeah. don't have uh, you know all these deep pockets, and, and that's what I'm most concerned with. But, but for right now, I, I think you could see um, – our sector really holding out and staying strong. That makes sense. I, I didn't really think about that, but um, you're right. Those of you that are familiar with the Nissan plant in Canton on uh, Interstate 55, well, around the Nissan plant, you see lots of other buildings. Many of those are housing suppliers Absolutely. to the vehicle industry, the automobile industry. But I didn't really think about it. All of their output is not necessarily going to the Nissan plant. They're, they're shipping a lot of those products. And so those are companies in Mississippi that are manufacturing. And when operations are, are, are being significantly reduced because of strikes in other parts of the country, could affect those suppliers. Yes. And, and we have a company here that makes wire harness. Yeah. Uh, Pretty big operation. They're, they're big operation. And, and they supply the, the big three as well as others. We have a, a company that I can think of off the top of my head that does uh, plastic. Plastic components, really yeah. hard plastic that goes typically uh, in uh, dashboards and under the the hood type components, but they make that for all auto manufacturers. And and when those type companies start seeing a slowdown in orders, really could have a trickle down effect. And I, and I'm hoping that cooler heads will prevail in in the strike and that they'll get this thing resolved. Uh, but one of the things that I'm concerned with is one of the demands is the, the EV sector that's obviously exploding. Right. And you've seen some of the big three uh, companies locate in the south. One of the demands is that those new shops have to be unionized hmm. by the UAW. Hmm. And that, to me, is a concern. Who's, who's putting that demand out there? The, the union. That, the union itself. Absolutely. Okay. That, okay. Is, that is one of their big uh, demands on the table. Is, well, because they see the writing on the wall. Absolutely. And that's what they see is that these companies are shifting their focus and their production methods, and they want to be in on that. Right. And if they're not, they might be, um, you know, a dinosaur. Well, in addition, everything I've read, John, suggests that the uh, the labor required to uh, produce an electric vehicle is considerably less than a traditional vehicle. Yeah, and, th- and there's probably some of that, um, it, but it's just a different um, – there's, there's a lot of different skill sets involved. So, again, you know, one of the main focuses of our association is workforce development. Sure. And, you know, some of these unions get in place, and they just have this legacy mentality where yeah. they just churn out the same type people and get them employed, yep. well, that's got to change. Okay. It's a different form of production. Well, uh, it just seems like union leaders are, are I think, looking for what uh, really is impossible, honestly. Yep. I want to work uh, 32 hours a week and get paid for 40. Yep. Uh, kind of start with that. that. That seems to be a pretty difficult uh, difficult demand to well, to satisfy. And to, to place um, a requirement on a company that they have to um, have retirement and health care covered for life, life of them and their dependents, I mean, yeah. that's just something that um, obviously predates me, and, and it's just not sustainable in today's business uh, environment. It, yeah. It's just not something that, that 
folks can afford. Yeah. Any uh, any projects on the boards in the state of Mississippi from a manufacturing sector perspective you can share with us? Well, there there are a few that I have uh, been privy to that I, I probably can't talk about okay. that are you know supposedly in the works and, and would be incredibly exciting for the state of Mississippi. But but I'll just say uh, you know Governor Reeves and his team uh, have really put together a strong showing of, of of bringing in new companies the last you know few years, right? Uh, and that's exciting. And most of those uh, big announcements have been in manufacturing and. And they're all across the board, whether it's uh, the the grand opening down in the coast last week of Ocean Arrow, yep, which is an incredible. Governor was there, I believe. Yeah, huh? He yeah. was. He was. And that, that's a company out of California. Yep. We've got some great growth in the wood products industry. So we're really doing well and, and well positioned. We just got to keep the momentum. Yeah. Is the association um, – Supporting, declaring support for a candidate for governor. Well, our 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 association doesn't get into that, but our political action committee does. Okay. And we have supported Tate Reeves, okay. and, and we've supported him when he was lieutenant governor and as governor. He has been a great friend to manufacturing, and, and has really he's really put the investment uh, in place. I mean, he's he's cut the business taxes that were really onerous and made us non-competitive. Yep. Um, he's invested heavily in transportation and infrastructure. He's invested in workforce development. Those are the types of activities that our folks really depend on. And again, we're not just competing against our neighboring states or even California or the Northeast or wherever. It's a global manufacturing market. Uh, and certainly coming out of COVID, you've seen this, this refocus on domestic manufacturing our supply chains were you know in shambles yep. uh, that's another concern with this this strike thing is auto manufacturers are are just in time type shops right. so they they get parts in and they build those cars and the next day they're getting those new parts for the new cars right with this strike and these suppliers possibly in danger we're really messing with that again. Then, then you have to kind of, kind of breach that that practice and start stocking up. That's right. Um, and carrying inventory that yep. that has a cost associated with it. Yep. And uh, that that's not really baked into their financial model. No, nope, it's not. And, yeah. and, and again, it creates one of the most the, the most dangerous uh, aspects of manufacturing is that uncertainty. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, right now we have inflation, we have supply chain issues, we've got geo, you know, yeah. the, the conflicts around the world. A lot of headwinds. It's a lot. And and again, I think we're doing well. But we really need to focus on keeping that momentum going. Yeah. Well, uh, I just want to say, first of all, I, um, I knew that. I should have been more clear. Typically, associations, they don't take uh, political stands, right. but they do have separate packs. Yep, that's, that's, right. that's the common structure mm-hmm. that we see. So, yes. But the governor does understand that the way to improve the quality of life in the state of Mississippi is to grow the state's economy. Absolutely. He totally gets that. He's been laser-focused on it since uh, he was uh, lieutenant governor and now governor. And, and it's one of those things that, um, you know, we often we hear about the large projects. But one of the things that, that, that the governor and his Mississippi Development Authority focus on is the existing industry. And that's what I obviously represent, manufacturers sure. that are here. Sure. Um, there are a lot of things that they do to assist in that regard. Um, and, and one of the things that I've been uh, talking to his team about is something that we've seen in another state that, that we work with in Utah, where their governor and, and the association uh, set up a fund to actually help those small to mid-sized manufacturers okay. make uh, strong capital improvements to their existing facilities. Okay. So if, uh, if a shop has, let's say, 30 or 40 employees and they want to invest in a new line or new equipment, 
they might only add another five or ten employees, but that is a tremendous impact on that company. And then in some of our small communities, that's a tremendous impact on them. Yeah. And and one of the things that people don't realize with manufacturing is that uh, for every job in manufacturing, the the rollover effect to the the community is like an equal to another two and a half to three jobs. Wow! Just all of that investment, all of the wages that those employees bring home, sure, really does impact communities, and that's what we like to see: community sure. development. Well, Mississippi is a good place to set up shop. Yep. I think it is. Uh, I, I've heard that working on Massachusetts County Economic Development Authority. We've gotten that feedback from yep. prospects. I know yep. you know some of them as well yep. that have shared that with us. So. Yep. Great quality of, of life. No yep. doubt about it. Yep. All right, John, appreciate you coming in yep. and give us an update. Absolutely. We'll talk Thank soon. You. Yep, We're All coming right. right back, folks, in the Element Well Studio. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. We're rolling. Hit it. Go. Play it. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. Lou Graham and Foreigner bumping us into this segment of Middays. We're in the Element Well studio and the second round of voting for House Speaker underway at the present. Watching the tally there, Rhino. At this point, Jordan sits at 45, Scalise 0, McCarthy 2. So let's see. Moe sent us in uh, some info earlier about the number. That are present today, I think it was 432, right? 221 to 211, Republican to Democrat. I think that's what Mo said. That does, so that does coincide most with what I saw on the, the, uh, the procedural vote a minute ago. 432 votes cast. When the thing is, uh, full, we have 435 reps in the House of Representatives. So, 432. So you got to have 217 to win. That's that's just how it works. So there was a question, Robert Clinton, since Matt Gates created this issue, this problem, mess is what uh, Robert Clinton referred to it as. Who is he voting for? He he must have voted for in the first round. Must have voted for Jordan because I'm looking at the list of the 20 Republicans who did not. And he is not on that list, which would suggest he voted for um, Jim Jordan. Just looking through this list, I see a McCarthy, McCarthy, Zeldin, Scalise, Garcia. (laughs) Zeldin, McCarthy, Scalise, 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 McCarthy, Zeldin, McCarthy, Scalise, 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 Emmer, the Republican from Minnesota, who I've heard lots of positive things about. Tom Cole, I don't even know who that is, Republican from from Oklahoma, John James of Michigan voted for him, and then another McCarthy, and then Victoria Sparks, the Republican from Indiana, voted for Thomas Massey. What's up with all that kind of stuff? Are these like protest votes? Is that what that is? It's all moot at this point. (laughs) 
It is? He has lost. Okay. So... It's up to six that have voted for someone other than Jordan or Jeffries. That's done deal, then. Six won't do it. Can't get there with that. You're right. Got to have 217. He's already lost six. So that would put him at 215 from Republicans. Incredible. Let's see here. All right, so it looks like Representative Michael Guest will not be able to join us, unfortunately, because they're still on the floor voting. Uh, it's uh, unfortunate, but we'll stay on him. He, uh, we'll get him. I'm not sure if we'll be able to today, but uh, I know Alex Payton, our content director, is in touch with his comms director constantly and trying to work something out. We'd like to for him to call in and give us an update, but I guess you're right. It's kind of moot at this point. goes down in flames uh, once again. Wow. So, Marion Greenwood asked the question, why did Gates want McCarthy gone? And best I can tell from interviews with with Gates and his public comments was that he objected to the fact that we were funding the government through a continuing resolution. So, once again, the, the government appropriates money for the discretionary portion of spending. And there are a couple of different approaches to doing so, but the regular order, what is described and defined as regular order means that they would they would take up and negotiate twelve separate bills, each dealing with different categories of spending on the discretionary side. One of those would be defense. And then you've got all this other complex of government, the vast array of the government agencies that are included in discretionary spending. So uh, that they're supposed to deliberate that and hash out a budget across those 12 bills. And the eight that were upset, and starting with Matt Gates, who invoked his privilege as a member of the House to call for a snap vote, essentially, on the Speaker, he was upset about that. Because he says McCarthy had committed to appropriating money and putting up a budget, passing a budget through regular order. McCarthy offered a continuing resolution. And and this continuing resolution, you hear that term a lot, just simply means just continue spending like you were without getting to do all the gory details of... um, the various categories of spending and hashing out, drafting independent 12 bills that would fund those functions of government. He did offer a continuing resolution, which just means it's just one big package you guys vote on, really limited or no discussion. You could offer amendments and so forth, but it's not like the various committees take up legislation across these 12 different bills to fund government. He got mad about that. And and I understand his grievance. I really do. But I think I would have handled it differently. I don't know that just standing up with all the drama and making such a show out of it, which is essentially what he did to get a bunch of media attention and raise money. Uh, Nancy Mason, he were, were quick to get all the, all the uh, solicitations out very shortly after the vote was taken 
to remove the speaker. Man, they were going after all their donors and constituents. Send me money. Look what I did. I got rid of McCarthy. I mean, literally the ink wasn't dry on uh, that resolution. So that's that's all I've heard, honestly. I mean, I've never heard anything else other than just, I don't know, kind of almost personal commentary, but but for the most part, from a policy perspective, I guess, and just a, a handling of the, the speakership, that's been the core issue that I've heard, the continuing resolution as opposed to regular order. Now, unfortunately, remember, in 2022, December, we were once again facing a clock and running out of money in the Senate which is not where spending bills should originate, it passed a continuing resolution in December 22, and that was in advance of the new class of House of the Congress being seated, being sworn in in early 2023. And Kevin McCarthy, who felt like he was likely to become the Speaker, he pleaded with the Senate, don't pass this continuing resolution and put us under the gun and send it over to the House before the new House is seated, essentially requiring that they pass the Senate's resolution, which was just a big, giant, what's called an omnibus spending bill, which is just a bunch of bills rammed into one. That's a little different than a continuing resolution. That's why it's called omnibus, many. And he pleaded with them, don't pass it. Let us take this up through regular order and pass 12 separate bills with a new House. And we'll send it to you guys in the Senate for you to pass, and then we'll send it to the President. But they didn't. Unfortunately, about 17 Republicans joined in with Democrats in the Senate to get that done. And they they essentially put the House in a rock and a hard place. You either accept our continuing resolution and pass it, or the government's going to shut down. Now, a lot of people would say let the government shut down, but history has shown that typically that comes back to bite Republicans. And I think it would have in this case. Unfortunately, one of our senators, Senator Roger Wicker, was among those Republicans who supported that resolution, that omnibus bill, but then it's, it came up again um, recently with this situation where I don't really I can't explain why Kevin McCarthy didn't get out in front of this and uh, start the process of deliberating separate bills through regular order to fund government, but rather chose to go the continuing resolution route, although, to be fair, he cut the non-defense portion significantly in the continuing resolution that he was involved in crafting. But it wasn't good enough for Gates. And uh, he invoked his privilege, and he had counted the votes, obviously, and seven other Republicans joined him, and they combined with Democrats, and McCarthy was removed. I mean, that's that's the best analysis, Mary, I have. Rhino, you may have some thoughts. we got a break coming up. But that everything I've seen and heard and read... And listen to um, suggest that that's that's kind of the behind the scenes situation. You do have to wonder about 
Matt Gates's motives, though, don't you? Somewhat. Was it just mad about a continuing resolution, or was something else involved there? Look at me, I can get lots of fame here and maybe raise a bunch of money. I don't know. Speculation. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbert on Super Talk Mississippi. All right, it looks like uh, the House Speaker vote, what I'm looking at right now, four have voted for Scalise of Republicans, five for McCarthy. So that's nine. Um, you you had already, we, they'd crossed the six mark before we went to break, right? So that Correct. already meant that Jordan was going down in flames again. But looks like that so far, only three people have received any votes from Republicans, 127 for Jordan. Four for Scalise and five for McCarthy. Is it just feeling like we ain't ever going to get anything done here? The markets are reacting negatively to it. They don't like that there's this sort of dysfunction and chaos in the nation's capital. Yeah, the markets like gridlock. They don't like dysfunction. And that's what this is. This isn't gridlock. This is dysfunction. And there's, of course, concern. I'm seeing a report now that uh, a law firm is revoking job offers. See this to students based on their statements about the uh, Israeli-Palestinian conflict. Good for them. I hope, I mean, that's just a headline. I hope that means that these are students who came out with anti-Israel, pro-Hamas, writings or demonstrated their support thereof and this law firm says we're not hiring you good for them you see i i swear rhino goes back to this incumbency thing it's just too dang easy they know and that's why the group of 20 or however many it's going to wind up being today are playing politics from the other side of the coin they're they're playing politics not for necessarily necessarily raising money for their future campaigns, although I'm sure that's part of it. But you look at the the list of people that voted against Jordan. I've only seen one or two of them that have come out with the reasonings you're seeing espoused on social media, like he has a bit of a shady history with the Ohio State investigation with molestation of student athletes and that kind of crap yeah but you do see appropriators seven of the 20 that voted against him yesterday are on the appropriations committee that's true which to me says they don't want to change anything in how they're doing business that they've right. got their their plan they're going to do it their way so they don't want anybody that's going to disrupt it when you get past them you got another handful of them that are on the Armed Services Committee, and Jordan came out and said, 
he doesn't agree with sending all this money to Ukraine and spending all this money on the military-industrial complex. Yep. So that makes up over half of the detractors right there. Yeah. People that just don't want to change the way things are going too much because we've already got it figured out how we're going to do it this way. And you're... You got to believe they're probably uh, got something going on with with donors or others who benefit from their appropriating decisions. I mean, and, it was all but two, I think, maybe two or three from the twenty yesterday that either asked for or got earmarks on the last big spending thing. Unbelievable, and that's um, that's what's broke. There's no doubt about it. Uh, well, we'll see. It's unfortunate that we can't get Representative Michael Guest. We certainly understand he's he's uh, doing his duty. In fact, it looks to me like they're doing a roll call vote right now. Is that what you're seeing? I mean, they're one by one. Yeah, one by one in the chamber, standing up, casting their vote. Incredible. It's time with, uh, this is Malcolm from Tishaningo. Nothing's getting done in Washington now, so they shouldn't get their pay. You know, Malcolm, I think there's a member of the Senate and a member of the House who have introduced legislation to do just that. You don't get the budget passed by the deadline, your pay is suspended. I've seen uh, bills calling for that. He says it's time for American citizens to come up with a USA resolution to clean house in Washington, vote them out. I think that Malcolm's sentiments are consistent with those of many in our country at this point. It's just a sense of frustration, is there not? That the whole dang thing is is uh, dysfunctional and, and just not focused on what's important to the people. And again, poll after poll is showing that economic issues top that list. And they're not they're not doing anything to address that problem. Of course we got a president that runs down to Venezuela Well, he actually hadn't physically gone down there, but he's been in communications with the communist regime that runs that country, attempting uh, to persuade them, at least, to produce more oil when it's sitting here under our feet. Most energy analysts now say that we'd be producing 3 million barrels more per day had we just stayed on the trajectory we were on when Donald Trump left office, which would make a huge difference in our economic condition and that of American households. There's no doubt about it. And it's not a good situation when we got a president who, in a feeble attempt to decrease the retail price of fuel, releases oil from the strategic petroleum reserve and now we got we got conflict and uprisings in geopolitical uncertainty we need all the safeguards protections and backup we can possibly have and we don't have a president that thinks that way and that's uh, that's a concern that's a problem we produce more oil now than we ever have, says Dwight. That's absolutely true, Dwight. I'll give you that. Three million barrels a day less, however, than we could have been. And that's the point that you're missing. Well, sure, the, the trajectory has is, is been historically upward. 
And it's absolutely true. I've explained it on this show a thousand times that we've never produced as much oil as we consume. That's just oil. Energy independence is is not a definition that is limited to just oil. It applies to all forms of energy. We absolutely were energy independent when Donald Trump was in office from the perspective of producing sufficient energy to cover our consumption. And in fact, our excess was being exported. From an oil perspective, we have typically produced about two-thirds of what we consume. And yes, it is up. Dwight's, of course, trying to make the point that President Biden is like this big friend to oil, right? Which is complete horse hockey. I don't think Dwight ever really has a point. He just likes to be a naysayer and hear his name on the radio. <laughs> well, and so... none of his points seem to match up to anything intelligent. They're just talking points he's regurgitating because he's been spoon-fed by idiots. And, and that's the point I've seen. You're right about that, that the folks on the left in this country have made a big point. We're producing more oil than ever under Joe Biden. That's just natural market conditions, except under Joe Biden, we're producing three million less. And this is not Gerard's opinion. These are from a cross-section of energy analysts that track this stuff for a living. They've said, had we just maintained the policies we had when Donald Trump left office, we'd be producing three million barrels more today. Well, hell, a third of that almost would come from the Keystone Pipeline on a daily basis. It would have been completed by now. Oil would have been flowing from Canada to the refineries in in South Texas. 900,000 barrels a day. Almost a third of this. Just from that. The fact is, Joe Biden has done everything he can to eliminate the consumption of fossil fuels and make it difficult to explore, to produce oil. And he's caused the price to go up. His policies. Yet, jet-setting John Kerry, right, he he wraps around the world in his jet, (laughs) telling people that the world's going to end because of climate change. While he's (laughs) in his Gulf Stream. It's just hard uh, hard to fathom the hypocrisy of that and the double standard. And that's what makes people mad. But there's always a flaw in these numbers that they use. They're, they're not good at math. It's it's Robert Reich and his saying that the Trump tax cuts are the cause of the deficit. Except this math doesn't work. And he, and he and I think I explained this what last week about his, uh, his violation of an accounting principle known as matching, where revenues for a period have to be reported in a match, on a matched basis with expenses for the same period. You can't report four years of expenses against ten years of revenue. And that's what he does in his hysterical uh, Facebook posts that are completely wrong. And unfortunately, there's a bunch of people in this country that see that. Oh, Professor Reich, thank you for explaining the truth, except it's not. It's a lie. That's kind of what's happening with this whole oil deal. That's just not true. We're stepping aside for a break in the Element Well studio. We're coming right back with more. Stay with us. 
It's so awesome. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. We're back in the Element Well studio. So I'm watching uh, presently on the television protests are erupting across the Arab world. Again, I'm looking at Istanbul right now. A moment ago, it's Beirut, Lebanon. And these protesters believe Israel's behind the hospital blast. And so they're taken to the streets. It's incredible. How, how do we how do we establish the truth? What what's required to get to that point? Because it seems like that these people are in defiance and just reject that um, Hamas was behind this and completely of the opinion that this was Israel and thus they have gone to the streets. I think they're just looking for a cause as much as anything. It's just just pent-up aggression, pent-up anxiety to a great extent, hate. And they teach them to hate Jews from an early age. They indoctrinate children to hate. They don't come out of the womb like that. Kids don't come out of the womb and are not born into this world with hate. They learn it from adults. And these adults... In those regions, in those communities, they're teaching children to hate. I don't get it. It's, um, man, it's just, it's so antithetical to just basic human decency and dignity. But they don't seem to have any. I don't know if you guys have seen it, some of the uh, video of classrooms in these countries. And the things that elementary school kids are saying about Jews. I mean, it it does feel like Nazi Germany to some extent. You know, many Germans were in defiance about what was going on, even in their backyards there, during the Holocaust. No, that, that wasn't happening. But you remember the Allies forced them to go walk through the camps. Remember that? Oh, yeah. They were... Made them work in the cleanup. Exactly. They were aghast. And you know, as the war was approaching end, they intensified the killing. Tried to, let me get as many as I can before we lose this war and we can't do anymore. And then didn't dispose of it. So the camps were covered up with bodies. Big trenches dug. Bodies lined up, waiting for a bulldozer to push them in, front-loader, push them in. I've seen pictures of that. And the townspeople there just in a state of shock. But they got handkerchiefs over their noses to guard against the smell, the stench of human death. The people that were dying and around them didn't have that. They had to deal with it. Not to mention just the 
the sight of that. I can't even comprehend it. And these people are in the streets. What do you bet most of them deny that it actually happened? That always just blows me away. I've been texting with a congressman to see what's up. He just said, I said, what's the next step after Jordan went down? He said, not sure. Two flipped to Jordan, four flipped against him. Net loss of two. 22 total Republicans voted against Jordan. That's what Congressman Michael Guest was kind enough to take a moment, because I think he's on the House floor right now, and update us with that information. Man. When you think about what's happening in Israel, though, in Gaza, it kind of seems unimportant, doesn't it, why we play these political games over here? I think that's partially why it's dragged on so long. You do? Oh, yeah. I mean, the, the news is focused more on Israel than the circus that has become the house. I see. So they're not getting the exposure of the of what is just the dysfunction that's going on. Well, that's, that's So sad. therefore, they don't feel nearly as much pressure to start doing their job and get back to work. That's a good point. Copper from North Mississippi says, the Republicans will keep on with their BS, and I'm going to waste my vote on a third party. Tim and McGee says, this is called, we lose the House in 2024 in all caps. Oh, they are some dummies up there. It concerns me too, Tim, that uh, how this may play out in the 2024 election. We got 31 Senate seats up for re-election. We got, of course, every House seat, and then in the presidency. I'm concerned as well, Tim. I I share your concerns. Tim from Tupelo says, House of Representatives only in regular session about 147 days a year and all act like third graders. Wish I could work 147 days a year and retire a millionaire in no time like they do. Well, that's a bit of a stretch, but I hear what you're saying. A balanced budget should be a law on the ceasefire tax line. I'll address that before we're out of here today. That's... uh, there's, there's been some attempts to pass bills to enact into law requiring a, a, a balanced budget, but those have always fallen short. We're stepping aside for a break. Fox News, Super Talk News is next. And Chris Howard from Department of Rehab Services and Dorothy Young from the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation for the Blind. Stay with us. And now. And now. The talk that keeps Mississippi talking. That's what I like to listen to. You're listening to Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Here on Super Talk Mississippi. Welcome back, everyone. Hour three of Middays. We are live in the Element Well studio for the afternoon portion of the program on this hump day. Joining us now, Chris Howard with the Mississippi Department of Rehab Services and Dorothy Young, Director of the Office of Vocational Rehabilitation for the Blind. Chris, Dorothy, thanks for coming in. Yes, sir. Thanks for having us on the show today. So October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month. Is that correct? That's correct. The uh, U.S. Department of Labor designates the month of October as, like you said, National Disability Employment Awareness Month. But, you know, we always like to say at the Department of Rehab Services every month. 
month is Disability Employment Awareness Month because yeah. that's what we do across the state, helping individuals with disabilities, um, you know, prepare for and obtain great jobs, you know, jobs that will provide for themselves and, and their families and, and just really help those individuals find a great career. Yeah. Chris, how has that changed from a technology perspective? I've, I've got to believe there there have been some uh, – some new tools and and uh, resources that that have been developed through the years oh, to, to help in this effort. Yeah, there's so much technology out there. I mean, even if you just look at your cell phone, you know, there's so many apps out there for an individual who maybe is deaf, um, maybe have a learning disability. There, there are a lot of apps there. Um, Dorothy and I were talking a while back. There's actually you can get a cane. You know, individuals who are blind or visually impaired may use a cane. Um, there's a cane you can get now with GPS on it. Wow. So how I mean how cool is that to have a GPS with an earpiece that kind of guides you guides you where you need to go? How about that? Mm-hmm. That's pretty cool. So so Dorothy, what about uh, job opportunities for the visually impaired? How do you guys help them with that? Oh, we provide uh, numerous services. Um, we have 18 counselors, nine in the north and nine in the south, vocational rehabilitation for the blind counselors. And our number one service that we provide is counseling and guidance. Um, you know, when someone loses their vision, the first thing that you have to do is get them out of the denial and become comfortable. So we have trained, certified rehab counselors to provide counseling to get that confidence up to start getting services and those services are orientation and mobility that's what Chris just spoke about using mm-hmm. that cane the long white cane teaching mm-hmm. them how to be independent uh, technology services and those services can be for someone that's blind or visually impaired if they're going to use any type of technology it has to be accessible mm-hmm. that's teaching them how to use JAWS that's a screen reader for the computers that reads everything back to them or Zoom text um, and then the next thing that uh, that we provide is job placement on any job that a person wants to go to. Last year, our agency, with the help of our executive director, Chris Howard, and our business development team, uh, we placed over 388 fellow Mississippians in jobs, everyday competitive integrative jobs, such as um, school teachers. We pay for college training for individuals to get their degree. Um, we had several that we closed as working in our school system around the state as school teachers, yeah. um, visually impaired, but they're working. Um, and as a school teacher, the next um, high occupation that we we place folks is is an engineer um we he graduated from mississippi state university as, as an engineer um and he's working now for the mississippi Depart- the department of transportation not in our state but in another state okay so those are the types of jobs just jobs um that individuals that um uh, able-bodied folks can do we provide for individuals that are blind and visually impaired so so chris how do the employers how, mm-hmm. how are they made aware of these opportunities to, to hire uh, these folks with these disabilities, how, how do you guys communicate that to them and let them know, I guess, who you're working with, who's available, and, and maybe what their responsibilities, if any, would be? Yeah, so the first thing is we have a, a business development unit. Um, we have business development officers are all around the state, and that's their job. Their job is to go out and talk to employers, uh, tell employers about, you know, the the numbers of hiring individuals with disabilities. You know, there's so many studies out there that show, you know, if you hire a person with a disability, that person is going to be so much loyal to the company than, say, a person who doesn't have a disability. I mean, you think about, you know, the job market right now. People are jumping jobs like crazy for more money or better benefits or things like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, what you'll find is if you hire a person with a disability, they're going to be there. They're going to be there for the long haul. They're going to meet production, and they're going to stick with you. So, you know, you think about it as, as a business owner, all the money you may spend training someone just for them to leave in six months or a year, yeah. whereas you spend the money to, to assist a person with a disability in getting that training, which, again, a lot of it we already do. 
Uh, but once that person is placed in employment, they're going to be there. They're going to do a great job, and, and they're going to be loyal to that company. What kind of feedback, Dorothy, do you hear from the employers, uh, those that, that hire these folks? Oh, yeah, we get feedback. We have an internship program. Uh, the first uh, summer internship uh, program for people with disabilities, specifically individuals that were blind and visually impaired. So once we put them on that internship, the employer calls us You know, the next year, hey, are you going to send us another candidate? Mm. Because this one, as Chris stated, worked out perfect because yeah. um, one of the things that the employer always wants always wants to know can the person do the job yeah. that's that's the main question sure. can they do the job yes they can do the job and they're going to be independent on that job and independence for someone that's visually impaired or blind is meaning that our agency would teach uh, someone that's blind and visually impaired once we get them on that job uh, orientation and mobility okay. on that job okay. from one um, uh, office to maybe to the break room yep. to um, to the different conference rooms we would teach those services with that client on that job for that employer don't have to do that that helps makes the person independent I yeah. see. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. And another good thing, too, for the employers is, you know, if a, a person is on an internship or maybe they're on a job tryout, a lot of times we can pay for the wages, you know, mm-hmm. to help okay. that person get that experience and, and get through the door. So, you know, again, talking to the business owners, you know, we can help pay those wages to get that person an internship or, or a job tryout. And the really cool thing about the program is, let's say the person, let's say that it doesn't work out. The good thing is that person now has job experience to put on a resume. Yeah. So we look sure. at it as a win-win. We hope the person's going to get hired, but if something happens and they don't, then that person has job experience to put on a resume to, to try to find something else. That makes sense. So, Dorothy, uh, Dorothy I noticed you've got some uh, what looks like some charts and statistical data there. Is there something you want to share? Oh, yes. I wanted to tell you how the agency, um, Mississippi Department of Rehab Service, specifically our Office of Vocational Rehab for the Blind, has been doing every year. Um, and this is to command uh, to our executive director and all of the staff out there. Every year we cl- serve over 2,000 Mississippians with the four major uh, leading causes of blindness. That could be your diabetic retinopathy individuals, cataracts, glaucoma, or macular degeneration. We've had a, a, a spike in retinitis pigmentosa um, in our state here. We serve those individuals and every year we've gone up, increase in employment outcomes Hmm. from the services. So last year, like I said, we served 1,745 fellow Mississippians that were blind or visually impaired, closed 388 employment and competitive integrative employment. And what's different about this statistic is they're being closed with benefits. So their individuals are receiving uh, insurance. Individuals are having a hourly higher wage. Out of those 388 folks that we served, closed, the average hourly wage is $17.88, and this is a difference here. 68 of those folks had either got some type of certification or college training. Wow. That's yeah. pretty good. Yeah. You know, another thing, too, to point out, you know, my background is accounting, so I always like to look at, you know, look at the numbers. But InSpark did a return on investment study for us. They do it every year. And the return on investment is 1.8 for every state dollar. So, okay. you know, what that means is when we put a person with a disability back to employment or into employment, you know, the state's getting their dollar back plus another 80 cents. So, you know, that's through um, state income tax, reduction in, in, you know, benefits, state benefits. So, right. you know, we like to say our program more than pays for itself when we put a person back sure. to work. So it being National Disability Employment Awareness Month, Chris, anything in particular you guys are doing to promote that and highlight that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're um, doing this, being on the radio, yeah. a lot of social media. Um, go to mdrs.ms.gov or go on Facebook to our, to our Facebook page. 
Uh, we're doing a lot of social media, some TV ads, uh, speaking around the state at different kind of groups, you know, um, chamber groups. Yeah. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other groups. But uh, I guess one thing, too, if, if someone's listening and, and you have a group that they would like to come speak to, um, give us a call at 1-800-443-1000. And you know we're all across the state. We would come, love to come to speak to a church group or a chamber Civ- group. Civic or, groups, or, right? Yes, sir. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Rotary club stuff mm-hmm. like that. Most definitely. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Um, all right. So, it, 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 are you working with other states? That's what I want to ask. You. Is there anything else going on in other states to recognize this month? Oh, yeah. Where you talk to them, and, and, and do you just do idea sharing, for example? Yeah, yeah. so all states have a Department of Rehab Services, okay. um, and, and we share ideas. And this is, uh, of course, put on by the U.S. Department of Labor, so all states are, are, are looking at it. Um, but it is great to talk to other states and see how they do things. You know, we're, we're big into what's called pre-employment transition services right now where, you know, we're working with young adults as, as young as 14 years old. So through our federal regs, we can go into schools and, and start serving kids as young as 14 to either help them get ready for college or if they're not going to college, help them get ready for employment. I see. So it's really, really a cool thing to see, you know, our counselors being able to go into the schools and touch the lives of, of these young adults. Yeah, and it's got to be exciting for those who who uh, land positions and, oh, yeah. and they want to work. They want mm-hmm. gainful employment. Yeah, and and to be said, Chris doesn't not like to brag a lot, but I will. <laughs> Our agency, uh, compared to other states, yeah. has been recognized as the number one agency in the country. That's awesome. In serving people with disabilities, especially students, we're Good number one. Congratulations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good to hear. Thanks, mm-hmm. thanks for you guys for yes, coming sir. on. Yeah, thanks for it. having us. Mm-hmm. We're coming right back, folks, in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Talk that keeps Mississippi talking. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Let's get on with it. On Super Talk Mississippi. everyone van halen with jump bumping us into this segment here of middays we are live in the element well studio so we shared with you earlier this report on uh, the campus of the university of california at berkeley i'd I'd have to say rhino it's best known for its activism of the 60s it was kind of ground zero for activism against the Vietnam War and the establishment, the man, as they called it, all that sort of stuff. It just seems like they were sort of the trendsetter there. Well, we talked about these these Jewish safe spaces, anti-Jewish safe spaces, actually, that they had established around the campus. So you could uh, apparently, I guess, locate your body in those spaces and and be protected from uh, the Jewish folks on campus. Well, a Berkeley law professor who happens to be Jewish 
He's telling employers, don't hire my students who are expressing anti-Semitic views. Good for him. See, that's the way that stuff works. They're, they're venturing into an area here that's really sticky, really thorny. Are they not when they're dealing with this anti-Semitic stuff? Because you got a situation here with a professor who's outing these students for their positions. You don't think the employers listen to them? You're dang right they do. And you've got philanthropists, those who donate large sums of money to some of these universities, who, too, are upset, unhappy with the reaction on campus and the protests and um, in favor of Hamas and against Israel. And they're closing the checkbook. Good for them. This is sad that this is going on. Because this is just about morality more than anything, in my view. We could get into all kinds of lengthy debate and discussions about what undergirds this attack and get into this two-state scenario and all that sort of stuff, more, more political, I think, than anything. But there's no way that a clear-thinking, rational, good human can condone what Hamas did unprovoked. They weren't defending themselves. There are no no resistance movement here. That's just nonsensical propaganda. And they're cowards because they went and attacked civilians. What, What kind of human does that? One who's been, I guess, consumed by, possessed by the devil. I don't know how else to even look at it. It's just so, again, antithetical to just basic human dignity and respect for human life. I I can't imagine just festering that sort of hate in your heart and your mind. I, I can't. What kind of human murders babies like that indiscriminately and then boasts about it? And again, for the maximum shock value, leaves a trail, knowing it's going to be discovered by their countrymen, the victims, for the shock value. What kind of human does that? Maybe I'm being too kind in describing them as humans. Well, I hate evil, and I think that God expects us to hate evil. If you don't hate evil, you don't love God. All that for the speaker makes us look weak and stupid. Bad time for that on the ceasefire tax line. I, I agree. really is disturbing. we got bigger fish to fry. Malcolm from Tishomingo says, amen, pure devil. 
Oh, on the ceasefire text line, William and Brandon says, Chris, talking about Chris Howard, whom we just interviewed with the Mississippi Department of Rehab Services, says, top shelf kind of guy. Appreciate that, William, letting us know that. James in Hattiesburg says, I benefited from rehab. I got a bachelor's degree from USM in engineering tech thanks to a half scholarship because of my low vision. My son has a scholarship now because of his low vision through vocational rehab. I'm forever grateful. Appreciate that, James. Glad that worked out. Robin Hattiesburg makes an excellent point, Rhino. The first casualty of war was, is the truth, because I was calling early for why can't we just at least deal with the facts and the truth and come away with analysis and assertions? But that's a good point. The truth gets lost in the chaos of war. However, let's be honest, we got lots more tools these days to establish the truth than we did. The president says he's seen photos of the beheaded babies. Have you heard him say that? He's actually said that. He said it, and then the White House walked it back. Okay. Well, unfortunately, he can't be trusted either. You can't rely on him to espouse the truth, can you? He's just been caught too many times telling whoppers from his performance in a congressional baseball game to seeing two men kissing, remember that story, and being a lifeguard and all that kind of crap, driving a truck, getting on a train every day. It's just a series. Plagiarism in law school. How does this guy get to occupy the highest office in the land? Now, let's be honest. We're all sinners because we're humans. But we've got to have standards, too. That's the nuance, I think, that gets lost here. You know, I talked about this with the kids last night at, uh, at Ole Miss, the College Republicans, and it's something we've talked about on the show a lot. You know, I, there, there's just a need for discernment and nuance in society rather than this just sort of binary scenario that we typically point to and uh, especially coming from the left i mean you're you know you're either this or you're that kind of deal and i i guess in response to that i would say well you know i can be for free speech for example which is fundamental to a free society it's why it's number one in the bill of rights but i could be for free speech and against inappropriate sexually explicit content in kindergartens but the left says that's fascism you're suppressing free speech so are you saying you have no limits? You don't think anything's inappropriate based on age, based on maturity? You know, I can support the Second Amendment, but oppose gun violence. I can support law enforcement, but object to those who abuse their power. But also know that's a fractional number. Just like I know the people who abuse the right to possess firearms and use it to inflict harm on others and commit crime, that's a fractional number at the end of the day. You know, I'm okay with adults loving whoever they want to love. I'm okay with their sexual orientation with that, I, I think, Freedom should allow that in a free society. What I'm not okay with 
is thrusting that and indoctrinating this radical gender ideology on kids. I'm not okay with the tape we played the other day from the uh, one of the hospitals up in Rochester, New York. Can't remember the name of it. Uh, it was a video they have promoting their transgender services, and this mother is is talking about how life changing it was for their teenager. And the hospital admits they've even done sex change surgery on eight year olds. I'm not okay with that. Once they're adults, they want to do that to their own bodies. I, I I don't want to stand in the way of that. That's I think it's dumb. I think it's bad. I think it's misguided. You know, I can support fiscal responsibility and low taxes. I can be for clean air and water, but oppose radical transformation mainly rooted in control through this climate cult crap. I can support the right of everybody to vote, but also expect that they prove who the hell they are before they cast their vote. That's the nuance that's missing in society. We're coming right back in the Element Well studio. Stay with us. Middays with Gerard Gibbons on Super Talk Mississippi. The Diablo Motors had a hell of a sale downtown yesterday. Work got around, no money down, take years and years to pay. When I got there, the lot was bare, but the salesman said, hold on. For a little cash, I got a two-tone match out behind my barn. We're back in the Element Well studio. And, um, Larry and Maya said, have they voted for speaker yet? Yeah, Larry, and for those of you that just joined us, they have. And uh, Jim Jordan was uh, not elected. So we, back to the drawing board, we don't have a speaker. I hadn't seen the final tally yet, Rhino, but it didn't seem like it took long to cross the threshold of dissenters. At that point, you knew he didn't have the votes from the Republican side. Can't lose, but I think the numbers are five, if I'm not mistaken. Five can vote uh, from for someone else or not vote for him, in which case he would not be elected. So that's what's happened. I just asked Michael Guest, what do we do now? He's not real sure at this point. I think they're all scratching their head. Try to figure it out. Interesting. Also want to point out yesterday, I had a really enjoyable conversation visit, almost an hour with the the dean of the Ole Miss Law School. He was um, hired last January this of this year. Uh, Ole Miss guy came over from Texas Wesleyan University. Uh, Fred Slaybach is his name. He, he was really... Very personal, very, very engaging. Really enjoyed that conversation and just appreciate him seeing me. I just wanted to come by and meet him after speaking at the gaming law class. Professor Ron Richlag, who's been on the program before, uh, the week before, I tried to get by and just shake hands, introduce myself, and he unfortunately was out. But Professor Richlag was good enough to coordinate that, and 
I uh, really appreciate uh, Dean Fred Slaybach for seeing me yesterday. And then, so, Rhino, we go to the the uh, the building on campus. It's one of the old buildings on the circle adjacent to the Lyceum there. Because, you know, the original campus, if you've ever seen that, it pretty much was the Lyceum and a few buildings just right around the circle there, which was kind of the traditional configuration of a, of a college environment, an academic environment in those days. And uh, Bryant... Halls, what this one is called, and it's, I think, where the Department of Religion and Philosophy is based. And we were scheduled to speak, as the college Republicans always do, in in one of the classrooms right there on the first floor. And uh, 5.30 was our, our time to have it, and, and it uh, we'd, we'd come on... Uh, into that classroom after a class was held there that went a little long. And there, I don't know if this is true, but there was speculation that the professors, not uh, not in the Republican camp, and maybe was intentionally delaying us. I don't know if that's the case, but I think you're always looking over your shoulder, you know, for that sort of stuff. Uh, I I didn't detect anything like that, honestly. But, of course, they're there all the time. They know more than I do. But everything was fine. Um, I, I did note when I came out that the students were nice enough to get me um, a parking spot right there in front of the building. And parking spots on college campuses are at a premium, as you know. Parking is, is uh, in short supply. There's just more vehicles than there are parking spots, especially up there. They were kind enough to get me a spot right in front of the building. I got there. It had an orange cone with uh, essentially a sign taped to it with my name on it, and I very much appreciate that. But when I came out, there was a vehicle parked in front of me. This was after I delivered remarks. There was a vehicle parked in front of me that had a big Brandon Presley sticker on it. I just thought that was ironic that I'm inside speaking to the college Republicans. I come out, and there's a vehicle parked in front of me. I, I don't, I'm not suggesting it was planned. I think it was totally random. I just kind of chuckled, honestly, seeing that. You know, it, we don't have much longer. We will be going to polls to elect a governor here in Mississippi, November the 7th. They're scheduled to debate on November the 1st, I believe. Supposedly. Yeah. We'll see how that goes. I still feel positive that uh, Governor Tate Reeves is going to prevail. I think it uh, could be relatively close, but I think that would align in general with uh, uh, the way folks uh, support the political parties in the state of Mississippi. I think that's the way the election will ultimately shake out as well. I'm going to say five to seven points is what I'm predicting the governor will win by. Don't forget, we do have a candidate on the ballot who is withdrawn, but is still going to be on the ballot, and we'll get some votes. There'll be people that vote for that candidate, not knowing that she has withdrawn. I believe, maybe not caring, and that, you know, that'd be crazy. But that could figure into a runoff potentially. It seems like a long shot. Yeah, I don't know that she had that much support to begin with. Agree. I, I would see. I would say if if it were a situation where the gap between the two candidates was say in the three to five point range, that would be 
more likely yeah. to occur, but at this point I don't I don't think that's the case. Um so has Brandon accepted your invitation to come on the show, says Wayne from North Mississippi. Well, let me be clear, Wayne, no invitation has been that I'm aware of extended since the Neshoba County Fair. And the reason, I haven't heard if that's the case. And the reason is, folks, I think we did share with you that he was scheduled to be up here on the program from the fair on the day the candidates for governor spoke, which was Thursday. We were there Wednesday and Thursday. The fair determines which which races, which um, which candidates speak on which day. They they orchestrate and schedule all of that. And to my knowledge, uh, if a candidate for an office speaks on a given day, other candidates who are signed up to speak also speak on the same day. I don't think they typically split an office, all candidates on a day. So it was Thursdays when the candidates for governor spoke. You recall the governor did appear on the show, but um, but Mr. Presley de- declined, accepted and then declined the night before, literally about 9 o'clock on Wednesday. Our content director received notification from the Presley campaign that he was canceling his appearance. Well, of course, we would uh, welcome uh, Mr. Presley, to come on middays here. We'd love to talk to him. Um, we have before, in his capacity as public service commissioner, always had, a, I think, an engaging, informative conversation and would certainly welcome that opportunity again to do so. I would um, hopefully somebody's listening and maybe they'll take us up on that. That'd be great. Also, Wayne says, Gerard, it's real simple. Leave the kids alone. As an adult, you can do you. I, I agree with you, um, Wayne, honestly, that uh, that's, that's why I may disagree with what they're doing, but I support their right to. And that's, that's I think, what is fundamentally different about this country. That's a freedom we should all cherish. And it disturbs me that so many, particularly on the left in this country, want to suppress speech. And I don't, I don't mean speech as in inappropriate, sexually explicit content to elementary school children. I mean speech that just conflicts with their worldview. You mean exists in reality? Correct. Like men are men and women are women? Right. That's hate speech to them. That is absolutely hate speech. You're absolutely right. Using your two eyes to observe reality as it is, is somehow hate speech to the loony left. And think about this. The left in this country, they condemn so-called toxic masculinity, right? But we're expected to praise and laud a man in a dress. That's crazy. That That's what we're supposed to respect. Or this... Fool the other day, I think, when Will was on with me, we played a a tape of this person who is uh, calling for, what do they call it, a Zeno pronoun? How do we get all wrapped up in this stuff? Like, create a pronoun that's so complex, so sophisticated that a human can't pronounce it. That would be like a sign of respect, is what this person deemed. That's just crazy. It, it just feels like sometimes the, the world is 
upside down when you see stuff like that. But you're so right that hate hate speech uh, could rise to that level. It's just, you know, if you're using the wrong pronoun or you, you say that men can't have babies, well, then that's just hateful. We Only it. to the midwits that vote Democrat. I guess so. And But, you know, that would be a question, honestly, I think a fair question to ask Mr. Presley is where he stands on that sort of stuff, some of these cultural matters, because sure seems to me like his party is all in, as far as I can tell. Where does he stand? Because he's, you know, he he on a regular basis tries to detach himself from that, distance himself from some of that stuff, and then he shouldn't have taken their money. I agree, and that's the problem that any clear-thinking person should have is they're going to expect something in return. We're coming right back with a final segment on midday. Stay with us. It's so awesome. Middays with Gerard Gibbert. Come on, let's get on with the show. On Super Talk Mississippi. So what's happened on these college campuses, if you think about it, Rhino, is that the the idea of healthy debate has been really replaced by activist hysterics. Everything has to rise to the level of hysterics. Oh, yeah. It's Riley Gaines. It's how you can get the most attention, which that's what most of these activists are craving. That's what they crave. That's what they covet more than anything. No doubt about it. So... In this upside-down world, speech, really, if you think about it, that's now deemed as violence. Violence is deemed as speech. And in the ultimate irony, silence is also violence. That's true, which is crazy. So It's almost like they have circular logic. <laughs> it's just unbelievable that it's gotten that way, that words seem to have greater impact than bombs and bullets to these people. They justify the bombs and bullets. It's just unbelievable. Um, well, the vote, by the way, if you hadn't heard, it failed again today, the speaker. And lots of people that I'm seeing on our text line, I think, are a bit upset with the lack of organization and just what appears to be I think Trent Kelly on with Gallo this morning said put aside your petty differences what he said I agree now you you just sent me some info with the final vote tally uh, somebody voted for Beaner <laughs> John Beaner Boehner yeah Boehner yeah pardon me I uh, hadn't heard it and said it in a while former speaker of the house of course lived in the tanning booth <laughs> John Boehner from the great state of Ohio, as I recall, right? I think yep. he was. So let's see here. Byron Donald's got one. Emmer one. Garcia one. Granger one. Miller one. Westerman one. I mean, what is that all about? Other than 
calling attention to oneself? You think so? Sure. Well, about half of the single vote getters are the same people not voting for Jordan, so it would seem like they just played patty cake. And I'll vote for you, you vote for me, we don't have to vote for the big scary Jordan man. I think that is right. Man, oh man. Uh, well, I just, I don't know where it's going. And, and again, we uh, hopefully will have Congressman Michael Guest on with us tomorrow to give us a rundown of all of this. And I have asked him, and at this point, he's not sure. I think they're waiting for, okay, what's the next move here? And, and you made a point that I think is spot on, which is with the stuff going on in Israel, it's, it, it is kind of maybe taking a little pressure on them because this would just be dominating the news cycle. Were it not for that, I agree. Something else, by the way, speaking of the news cycle, the president said, we played the tape the other day that it stuck with me and it bothered me. And I shared this with the college Republicans last night. And, and it was a speech where he's denouncing hate, the president. It wasn't very long. And I'm not exactly sure where he was. I think it was Friday. And, of course, he's going through all the various phobias. And, you know, this is all deemed hate. Um, but he he made the statement where once again he attempted at least to recite the Declaration of Independence. I think it's paragraph two, if I'm not mistaken, in the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal, equal that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights. That among those are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I think I got that right. Yep. And the president, of course, is, seems to, to fail at, at reciting it. You know the thing. <laughs> well, he kind of halfway mumbled that during this speech Friday. But you know what he said? We've never fulfilled that promise. He said this country's never fulfilled that promise. He's the president of this country. Am I wrong in expecting more from him? From the president. Forget it's Joe Biden. Should the president be so critical of a country that's the most tolerant, the most inclusive, offers the greatest opportunity by far of any other on the planet? If that weren't the case, why 250,000 crossed the border last month? Last month, almost 3 million since he's been in office. An entire state of Mississippi has streamed across our border to enter this country for those ideals. That's why. Because they don't have them in other countries. And this is a president that says, oh no, we've never fulfilled that. But you know what they mean? It's these permanently aggrieved people. You see, if you mispronounced or misgendered them or took their tampons out of the men's bathroom, they would say that their rights are being denied. That's a true story. I had to bring that up in the discussion with the college kids, and they hadn't heard this, and that's fine. I probably wouldn't have either when I was in college. But they need to understand just how dang good we got it here. Not that they were arguing that, not whatsoever. They know it. They support it. We just got to remind people all the time. We're out of here today. Back with you again tomorrow. Until then, stay safe and God bless everyone. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.